my brother was standing up here and he said someone had a word of faith. And the spirit has just continued to speak to me through this thing. He said that Sarah came up and actually gave that, but he said someone else had it. And a lot of times when God calls upon you to give a word that's in season, that's supernatural, he has already equipped you. But a lot of times there's a tendency for us to think that your donation, your contribution to whatever this gifting is, is not important and you will hold back. And I could tell that Brother Morris had held back for a season and then Sarah being faithful came forth and gave the, the, the prayer of faith. But it was supposed to be someone else. God's not mad at you. He says you will get it next time. But what happens is sometimes he'll carry us to that point. And then part of this is speaking that word of truth to you this morning to make sure that you understood that he knew that you were supposed to do it. So I want to thank um, Haley for the praise and worship that we have. I want to thank for the, the songs that are coming out that really all point to the kingdom of God and how much he loves us. And this is a, a new season. We're going through some things. Uh, the elders met with the pastor last week, and then we met with our leadership team. And pastor has seen and has heard from God a plan that he is beginning to prepare us for. And there's a vision that he has for what God is going to be doing. So in preparation for that, I'm going to let him do that part of it, but I just want to give you a word of encouragement today because God is so good and he is so faithful. And every time we look back and everything that we have walked through as a church and that I've walked through as an individual, I can see the hand of God like a thread through fabric. You can just see him and sometimes you're just awed by what he does. Father, God, let's just bow our heads. We just ask for you to come today, Father. We ask for your glory and your presence over this earth, over this county, over our families, over our church family this morning, Father. I believe that everyone that has come here today is here for a reason. God has got a purpose for you to be here today to hear what he has uh, given me. God is so good that he said he would never leave us or forsake us, and he hasn't. So I ask that he give you ears to hear, ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that is open in every realm to receive what he has for us this morning. I ask you to have a spirit of joy and not fear. He says, don't worry about what's going on. I have your future planned, and I will not let go. So, Father, we thank you, Father. We give you praise. We worship you, Father. We war through the things to get everything that you have for us this morning. And you've prepared a way in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm going to ask you to um, look at your Bibles, whether it's on your phone. And if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to get one. But really, the word just in this book, Unless you bring it into your heart and you make life out of it, it doesn't mean anything. I remember years ago watching a movie, and I remember that the person jumped up and grabbed uh, across our Bible, and they held it in front of the demon that had come. And he says, unless you believe it, it has no purpose. So let it have purpose in you today. Um, I found my old Bible, and sometimes I like it because it brings comfort. 
You know, I have my church Bible, which is in a leather binder that I like to look at sometimes, but sometimes God will take you back to the old wrinkled up one that the pages are falling out, <laughs> and this is the one that you're the most familiar with. But I want you to stand with me, and I want you to hold your word up today. We're going to make a declaration. It's not the one that the pastor gives, but similar to it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I can have. I can do exactly what it says I can do. I'm a believer, not a doubter. I'm a doer, not, not just a hearer. This is the word of faith for my life. It has the plan for every purpose in my life. It speaks to my family. It speaks to my job. It speaks to my destiny. It speaks to my children. It speaks all things that God has planned for me. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. And I shall be all the better after having heard his word this morning. Amen. Please be seated. Now, the title of what I'm going to talk about today is called, I'm Not Finished Yet. Say it, I'm Not Finished Yet. And it, it talks a little bit about vision. You know, we've been talking about vision, and without the vision, the people perish. There's got to be a direction, and God has given us a direction, and we've started a process. And actually, this concept got on me from something actually that um, Bishop Bill Sweeney said kind of last week at one of the elders' meetings. And um, I was wondering if I was going to have him talk about this road construction, and then I'll take it back from him. One, two. I'd rather have him, you hear it from him than have me kind of rephrase what he said. Um, I take it just about every one of you who came here this morning, you came through the intersection up here where the road construction is going on. Uh, you know, first they tore some stuff up. In fact, they're tearing stuff up now on the lane you used to drive in. They, they're putting some stuff up. A couple of weeks ago, I drove through, and they had a pole out in the middle of the road. And I thought, what on earth, man? People are going to run into that. Why did they put that pole out in the middle of the road? Well, now they got a concrete barrier around it. And you look on the other side of the road, they got some more concrete barriers going on. And you look, and you see where they're going to come around the curve. And they've tore up some more road, and they got barrels, and you got to change lanes and all this kind of stuff. And it's a hassle. But you're beginning to see what it's going to look like. One day you're going to think you're in Atlanta coming through that intersection instead of <laughs> Tifton, Georgia. And God said, do not be distracted by the barrels. Do not be distracted and upset by what's got tore up because I'm going to repave it. I'm going to relay it. You're going to see something totally different than what was there a few years ago or even a year ago when you were coming through it. It's going to be totally different and so much more. Do not be distracted by the construction because he's not finished with it. Don't be distracted by what's going on in your life. He's not finished with it. 
Amen. You know, and he said that a, a couple of times, and I, and I heard that, and I'm one who hits that intersection all the time. And you sit there at the light, and I said, I wish someone would do something with this road. And then, you know, last year they started to do something, and then I sat down and I said, why are they doing that? <laughs> because, you know, to me, what I guess in my own eyes, it should have taken maybe three or four months, and now it's going on a good year. I remember when school let out, you know, I said to Inez, I said, oh, they'll finish this during the summer, and we won't have to worry about this, and it'll look better then. And I come back, and I'm still seeing a lot of the stuff there. But, you know, I'm, I try to get my guidelines coming down the road, and I come down the road, and the road is wider, and I try to envision where the old road was, and I'm like, well, was it over there a little bit, you know, where they cut down the edge of that square mountain that was coming, and they smoothed it down and made it at an angle? And there were two lanes, but was it this two or was it those two? And, you know, if you're coming up a car from the road, they put a sidewalk in and just kind of neat stuff and turn lanes and stuff, and, it, and it, it's amazing in terms of getting the vision. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to set, as part of this introduction, I'm going to turn, ask you to turn to Philippians, Philippians 1. And I want to say that this is uh, Paul, and he's imprisoned, actually in the Roman jail, and he sends, being waved at, I got my lapel, so apparently I'm having some problem. Can you hear through this one? I took bills and I kept on talking. And you start getting this going, and she's doing sign language for me, which means that you've got one already. Put that one down. Thank you, Inez. So Paul is in a jail. He is in prison, and he sends a note to Philippi, the Philippians. And we turn to chapter 1, verse 3, and it says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy. Say, with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that we hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Turn to chapter 2. Chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved... As ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God that worketh in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. God's got a plan. And it's to be done with joy. And not so much when we can see the things that he's doing, but also when we don't see the things that, that he's doing. He has now made you accountable. There is a, a praise song that they play on the radio sometimes that says, if we are the body, why aren't our hands moving? Why aren't they reaching? Why aren't our feet walking? And, and that just does something to me because I envision my body as being a temple of God just kind of walking wherever he sends me to do the things that he has called me to do. And instead, we have made our churches places where we just kind of come and sit and we don't even participate. But I think God is beginning to do something. There's a season of change, and God promises to redeem his people. I'm going to ask you to turn to Isaiah or Isaiah 
Isaiah 43. If I can locate it. Isaiah 43, 45, there's 43, verse 19. And it says, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And I see that road that Bill was talking about, how I used to come up and it was just two lanes. And to me it seems kind of amazing that you spread that road and now you've made something out of it. In fact, if you're coming down on Wintermill Road and you look over and you see that new subdivision that they had over there, my mind wants to look over there and see the forest that was there just five years ago. I look over and I see trees. I said, when did those houses get there? And I never thought houses could have been here. I said, there were power lines. There was some marsh. There was some overflowing. And now you see this beautiful subdivision that now folks are living in, and it looks really, really nice. God has promised to redeem his people. He's coming back for his church. And in the, in the meantime, he has called us to do certain things. You know, in Luke 5, you know, God gives some instructions, you know, and God does it through Jesus. When we talk about Jesus talking to the fishermen when he first meets them, it's, it's kind of neat how he does this. He comes, and there are a couple of fishermen that are taken in their nets, and he comes and he hops in one of the boats, and he spends some time teaching, and he teaches them. And then when he gets finished, he looks at one of them, Simon, and he says, hey, throw the net. Throw the nets back out there in the water. And see, they've also fished all night. Now they came, and now this, this Jesus Christ guy has walked up to teach them something. And now they're, they're kind of ready to go, and they've cleaned their nets up already. And he said, now throw the nets back out. So what happens is that Jesus is trying to show something. He's trying to show something. And they don't want to do it. But he says, well, since this is Jesus guy who just spoke, throw a net over. And they throw it over, and it is filled with fish. It gets filled to where the nets begin to tear. They haul them in. They have to call some other boats. And there is just this wonderful bounty after these guys have sat there all night and have attempted to fish and have been unsuccessful. Now, we have experienced fishermen that know the tides and the hours and the exact times when to go. They know the right bait to use. I took them. Um, Giovanni out fishing a few weeks ago and we went in the about two o'clock in the afternoon and I explained to him I said sometimes the fish bite better at 5 30 in the morning or sometimes late in the evening you can predict sometimes when these times will occur or if you know someone who knows certain holes they'll say well go about this time is when they're really really biting and I didn't think there was much to that but somewhere around 7 30 last night it was still light outside you know Giovanni comes says dad can we go fishing now and I said, uh, why? He says, well, you said night fishing would be pretty good. We can just, like, go. And it caused a problem because I had to explain to him that we didn't have any bait. I didn't have the poles out. Nothing was set. There was some preparation that would have to occur. But he was trusting in the word that I had given him that there was going to be some fish if we went out there at nighttime and began to fish. Um, what God does in our lives is that he gives us a vision. A vision is he gives us a picture of something that he wants us to do. He gives us direction. You know, God has given you a vision today. You know, somebody may be here for the first, second time, been here for a long time, 
and you may be satisfied with what you're doing, but God now has a vision of you doing something else, and it's going to cause for you to change. Just like it was demonstrated this morning, someone had a word of faith that they could speak into a situation, and that person sat back and said, not me. And it was very uncomfortable for that two or three minutes. And I know at the end of this service, that person is going to come and kind of sheepishly, well, it was me. Well, I already know it's you. <laughs> you know, God even shows me that, you know, who that person was. And that's okay. I'm, I'm not trying to accuse the person. I'm trying to say this is growth potential. God is going to expect things out of you that you have never done before and that you have never seen before and will cause, cause you to step into realms of excellence that you didn't think that you could do but he has already equipped you. Say, he's not finished with me yet. So, we have a vision. Now, when you get a vision for something, I'm a big plan guy. I say, well, if you have a vision for it, how are we going to make this thing happen? Well, we have to go to the Word of God when he's doing something. Lord, what's your vision? And that's one of the things where I am honored to sit with some elders who sit back and say, we want the vision of God. We have a pastor who wants the heart and the vision of God for this time and this season. And one of the say, well, what, what's the plan that we're going to have to do what God says? Well, let's pray on the plan. God will show us a plan, and he'll make provision for the plan. So you have vision, you have a plan, and then there's a time of preparation. Preparation is the process that you go through as you have that plan carried out preparation becomes very, very important. At the end of that thing, when you have the finished product, that's the reward. That's the good thing. That's the end of the race. You won. You've got to where God wants you to be. That's in the natural. In the spiritual realm, we're not finished until he calls us home. And then we sit and we rule and we reign with him. And then guess what? There's another plan. So there'll always be that plan that God has. There'll always be that vision that he'll set forth. There'll always be the process, and there'll always be the reward from it. The rest of eternity is rewards for you and I. We've got kingdoms to occupy. We've got all the jewels and golds just stockpiled with things to do. God's got stuff for us to do. But... One of the things that it becomes really, really important to do is the word says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you don't have a vision for it, or if you talk yourself out of it, none of this stuff will happen. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That comes from spending time with the maker. That's your prayer time. That's your word time. That's your quiet time. That's your praise time. Not just here on Sunday morning. You're transformed all during the week, and you have to make those times. And I find that the more that you spend those time with, the more you begin to walk in that season. You know, you get up in the morning, even though your body is on this earth, your mind and spirit are sometimes walking in, in heavenly places. You know, and as things begin to happen, you're brought back down to this world just to kind of do the things. You can't keep your head up there. I'd love to kind of stay in that presence. But the only purpose why God has my body open to that so I can receive and then so that I can go do the things that he has called me to do. Now, this is not a, a new thing that God is doing. I'm going to ask you to turn to John 2. All throughout his word, God, through his son Jesus, was trying to speak a word when he first walked on this earth. 
And people always had a problem hearing him because they didn't understand. The vision was on things that they were familiar with and things that they knew about rather than to receive the new thing. John 2, uh, verse 15. And let me see if I got it right. Verse 15, and when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make my father's house a house of merchandise. So we talk about Jesus walking into the temple and seeing what they had done. They're selling sheep, goats, oxen, all kinds of products. And, you know, sometimes we can see that in places that we go to. But Jesus got mad and see the money changers, they came to him and they began to question him. And one of the things that Jesus said to them was, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And they said, what is he talking about? Is he delusional? They said, it took 46 years to build this temple here. And in three days, Mr. Jesus is going to come and raise this up. What the problem was, they had no understanding of what he was trying to do. They didn't realize that the temple that he was talking about was him. He was giving a prophetic picture. And this whole thing is a prophetic picture because God's getting ready to do something even today. This temple will be replaced by another. My body that you see here is not going to be here. It's going to be replaced one of these days. God has got something else. Well, Langston, that's just one example. Well, that's John chapter 2. Let's go to John chapter 3. I wonder where that is. And we're looking at Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. And essentially, he comes to Jesus at night because he's going to figure this guy out. I find that it's interesting that he comes at night. He didn't come in the daytime and make an appointment. He's going to slip in. Hey, hi, how you doing? Came over just to talk to you for a little bit. Want to find out what's going on? Yeah, uh-huh. And one of the things that Jesus says to him in verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born again, you can't see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. So Nicodemus, being a wise ruler, sits down and says, what is he talking about? I'm a grown man. Is he talking about I'm going to be born again? You know, as a baby, you come out and you grow. And I, what am I supposed to go back into the womb, be birthed again? And Nicodemus couldn't see what was going on. He was said, well, I'm an adult. I'm old. I can't enter the womb again. He didn't get an understanding of what the vision was. So that's two accounts. Just for the fun of it, let's go to John chapter 4. <laughs> Did you guess that? We have a Samaritan woman at the well. And basically, we all know the story. You know, this about drinking water, and, you know, and she's a Samaritan. She's from a different town and a different race and a different color, and we've all heard that story. But one of the things that becomes... Interesting is verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, speak out. Am I reading right there? No, I'm sorry. I'm in 
John chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith thee, Give me a drink, thou wouldest asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. This thing is bumping too much. I'm not sure why it's doing it. Um, it's finally, basically, you know, she's trying to give Jesus water, and then he turns around and says, if you knew who you were talking to and you knew who I was and what I represent, you'd be asking me to give you the living water. And she looks at him kind of odd because, well, you don't have a bucket. You don't have a ladle to stick down or anything to roll down into the water to bring up any kind of water for me. So she doesn't have a vision for what he's saying. So what you have is three situations, and you have people that are getting the word of God through Jesus, and they can see a temple made of bricks and mortar. They can understand the birth and the travail that a woman goes through with blood and pain. They can see water in the well, but they didn't understand that in the man Jesus Christ, he was a temple. They didn't understand that there was a birth by the Spirit that could occur. They didn't understand that there was a water that could satisfy forever. Mm. And that's your foundation. We need to be changed by the renewing of our minds to understand the process because if we use our regular intellect, we will talk ourselves out of situations that we see. They will be foreign and unfamiliar to us. Now, the next thing I want to do is turn our vision towards a, a construction project. You know, a construction project, you know, we talked about the one down the road, but, you know, I remember 15 years ago when they said that Walmart and Lowe's would come into town, and we had another Walmart on the other side of town, and they were going to put another one down here on Highway 82, and I would come down there, and I would look over and just see forests, and then part of it had some trailers in there, and I would say, what are they going to do? And then I watched over the series of months how they came in, pulled all the trees out, and they came in and put the foundation, and they dug holes and poured foundation, and it cured, and then they started putting up all of these structures. And now the end product is what you see when you drive over there on that corner on the south side. You see your Lowe's and Walmart, which now has been there, and it's been thriving. You know, I have to look at things that are even going on at home. If we want to remodel or build a home, the hospital that I work for talks about renovation and moving things all the time, and I find that it's fascinating. You know, it's amazing to me how they can take a vacant lot that has no vision that I can see, and they can transform it, even to the point where I look at it now, and I don't remember what used to be there. I find that it's difficult to do that in terms of what it looked like before. You know, I like to look at renovation programs on the, what is it, the home TV network, and they'll say, well, you know, they'll have the folks come in and they'll say, yeah, we're going to buy this house. And if we could just take this wall out and I don't like to mow off carpet and I really want these cabinets pulled out and I want all of this in there. And, and you'll walk in and this husband and wife have a whole vision for the way that this house is going to look. Or they'll have the designers come in and they're trying to say, hey, you can buy this house really cheap. And for $70,000, this is what we can do. And they pull out their little laptop with the computer print, and they say, we're going to come in, we're going to take this wall out, and they make it look so easy. And I'm just fascinated at the end when it comes back, and they've got the whole plan going on. Um, when you do a renovation, it is actually harder than new construction. Because with a renovation, you have to go in and gut the parts that you don't want, 
while preserving the parts and the main walls that you need to have stay. You know, almost with a major demolition, it's just good just to knock the whole thing down. But we talk about renovation. This wall comes out. We got to watch that plumbing. Look at those electrical cords. Look at, oh, there was an old gas line that we didn't know. There are things that are unpredictable that we have to go through. You know, sometimes they'll take out a wall and say, here was a water leak that came through, and if we don't take care of that, we're going to have a problem. Oh, that'll be 5000 And I mean, you watch the owners of the new home, and they're, oh, we're not happy. We don't have it in the budget, you know. Uh, anyway, y'all probably don't want to hear all of that. But in the beginning stages, you can tell, you can't really tell what the final product's going to look like. But in the architect's mind, that's the guy who has been trained to put this thing up. He sees this thing as if it's already there. And God is our architect. He's got a plan for your life. He's got a plan for your family. He's got a plan for this church. He's got a plan for this town. He's got a plan for this nation. You know, I'm watching the political elections now begin as the, you know, Republicans and Democrats begin to get their major candidates and, you know, and everybody's making all these promises. And one of the things that I always kind of look for is to listen when the candidates begin to talk about what their vision is for something that's new. Um, I'm always resistant to the candidate that comes up and he just wants to talk bad about what everybody else did and what, how evil they are. So I want to hear that. I know what they've done. I want to hear what you've got to say. I want to know what your vision is. Um, God is so good because what happens is we're works in progress. This right here is the shell. My spirit is what he's got when I gave my life to him 28 years ago my spirit is the one that he's moving. He's not going to destroy that thing. But he can do whatever he wants to do with the temple. Let him mold you. Say, I'm a work in progress. Hmm. Let me show you how much you are a work in progress. I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 John. That's not regular John now. I'm going to go to 1 John. And I'm going to read this. Because we have the Apostle John speaking in this letter. First John, I'll say it to myself too. The reason I want to read this is because I want you to see it. I don't want things missaid that Langston said this and we think that there's a problem. I want you to see it in the word for yourself. Chapter 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that he should be called, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Behold now, are we sons of God and doth not appear what we shall be? But he knows that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Several years ago, I had a problem that somebody had, a, had an issue when we said that Christians are sons of God. Y'all need to circle that because it's said there in his word. He said it, I didn't. Somebody thought that it was blasphemy to call yourself sons. But Christians means little Christ. 
We're little versions filled with his spirit, with the God juice inside of us through the Holy Spirit that's supposed to do stuff. There's a plan. So the apostle even speaks that in 1 John. Beloved now, we are sons of God. I may not look like much now, but God isn't through with me yet. You know, I didn't always look like this. I was not always this kind. And I'm not going to talk too much about my testimony, but probably about five or six years ago, I had the pleasure of going to my 30th year high school reunion. My wife, how many of you going to one of those? That was pretty exciting to go back to a reunion after 30 years. And I kind of wasn't going to go, and I said, well, I'll go at the last minute, and then someone's having it out of town. So anyway, I ended up somewhere in Virginia at a hotel, and there were about 50 of us that showed up out of our, our senior class of 863 people. And um, it was neat because you walked into a room, and everybody looked different. You know, in your mind, you think everybody, well, hey, you know, <laughs> and, you know. And I had a friend, he had a lot of curly hair, and he'd come walking in, and some guy walks to me smiling, and he's got a, a, you know, a bigger gut than mine, and he, he's got no hair, and he walks over, Langston? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, <laughs> Warren. <laughs> and I said, yeah. <laughs> some things had changed after 35 years, and I realized that I've changed too. Um, it was interesting. I mean, even like various classmates that were girls. I mean, there was a time where you were going through adolescence and you saw that girl and she was just the cutest thing. You're like, that's it, man. They don't get no better than that. You know, until I met my wife. <laughs> no, God does something exceedingly abundantly above all. <laughs> but I remember during that time, oh, man, that was it. That was the one that all the guys talked about. You know, oh, boy, if we could go out with her, oh, boy, she wouldn't even look at me. And, you know, I remember sitting at a table just kind of writing something, looking for a book, and somebody walks over, Langston! And I remembered the voice, and I looked up, and it was double the pleasure. <laughs> and I said, hi, how you doing? <laughs> and in the middle of my, my mind, I was like, thank you, Lord, thank you, <laughs> thank you, you know. Um, things had changed. I, I don't want to be mean because I'm, I'm, some, some of this is being taped. But seasons change. Even now we see seasons change. And it's going to change for you too. Right now, young people, you're sitting here. You're in the best shape of your life. You think that you got it going on. God's got everything for you. He's got plans. You've got plans. It's exciting. You're good looking. You're strong. You don't get tired. You can party. You're, you know, I mean, God just got everything going for you. But one of these days... <laughs> that's why it's important first of all to take care of this temple now it involves sleeping eating staying away from drugs keeping your mind holy keeping your spirit fed with the things of the word of the, of the word and also staying around friends who do that too because we have friends that go through junk and sometimes that rubs off on us too <laughs> so just, just as a warning Seasons change, and you have to be ready for that time that God will call you to. So the things that you occupy yourselves with now sometimes can haunt you. You have to be careful because some of the decisions that you make now can slow down what God is doing. But guess what? God knew that you were going to make that mistake, and he is already making provision, and I'm just so 
in love with the fact is, is that he's going to take your ashes and he's going to make beauty out of them. He's going to make beauty out of them. I look at the summer. We're coming out of the summer. We're getting ready to head into the fall. And as you notice, the mornings are a little bit cool. It's a little bit nicer to go outside. You're like, this is not bad. This is not bad. You know, and everything's nice and green. And we were happy to see the leaves on the trees come out. And the grass began to purge itself. And now we're going into fall. Well, fall has its own new things, too, that comes in. You know, you begin to see the array of the beautiful trees in the fall and the, the, the colors will change, the oranges and the reds and leaves on the ground and pumpkins and all, all kind of things that the fall comes with. So there's a season that, that he has got going on. When God starts his work in us, sometimes it's misunderstood by others that are around you. They'll, God will see you begin to do things. Mm. And people will begin to talk. They'll say, well, why are they doing that? Have they lost their mind? You know, your neighbor can be doing something in the front of their yard, you know, and they might be doing a reconstruction. All of a sudden, a truck pulls up, backs up, and now you've got equipment laying all over the yard. And you're like, oh, my goodness, what are they doing? That looks awful. Those colors that they're putting up. Why are they taking that wall out? And you don't know what the finished product is going to look like. Hmm. I find that it's always interesting. Sometimes we can misunderstand what God is doing because you'll think that God has it going a certain way and you're like, yeah, God, do it the way that I told you to do it. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, God, uh, you need to go handle that. And then all of a sudden, God is silent. And you're like, well, God, come. And ultimately, you'll kind of find out that wasn't the way that God was Going, God was carrying you down that road, and you were going that way, all excited about it because you saw the prize there. But God might be taking you around that way to get over there because there may be something here that you don't even see. Hmm. A lot of times, even in construction, you can have boulders and stumbling blocks and all kind of things. And God says, I'm going to turn those stumbling blocks into stepping stones, which will give you safety and security each time you step your foot on one of them especially if you're walking in his word and doing what he's asked you to do. But here's where your faith comes in. I may not understand what he's doing, but I trust that he's doing something good for me, and I'm going to let him do it. Now, there are times when it almost seems like the construction project gets bad. It's like it's hopeless. I can't turn back. Uh, this is irreparable. It won't be repaired. People are talking already. Uh, they're ready to come get me. But I have to understand that if I stay in his hands, I'll be okay. I'm going to ask you to turn to Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah 18. I like the way the echo sounds. Echo. Jeremiah 18. Verse 1. The word which with the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make. And then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O uh-oh, there's that O that Morris was talking about. Oh, and it's not a oh no. 
See, we, we, we want, we'll say, oh, but we like to say, oh, no. But it's, oh, house of Israel. That means, looky here. Can I, can I not, I do this as this potter said the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. Hmm. Sounds like to me we've called God slash Jesus project manager. He's the architect. He's the potter. And I'm the clay. Mold me. It used to be a song that we used to sing that nobody understands. But here it kind of demonstrates is that he had to give us a picture. He said, go to the potter's house. And they watched him make this thing on the wheel. And guess what? When it got messed up, I could just see his fist coming down and pounding it, and he was able to start it again until he could make it something that was functional. Mm. Well, God does that with us too. He doesn't want to pound us though, but he's going to reuse us, and he's going to generally nurture us into the shape that we want, and that's his own image. You know, a lot of times you look at clay pots, and if you've ever gone into an old garage that has sat there for 80 years and you walk in, sometimes that same pot might have a little dirt on it, could have a little hole in it, could have fallen in the crack of the, at the tip of it, may have some little fine cracks. That way you'd be a crack pot. But anyway, God still uses these earthen vessels. That was odd, too, because I spoke to Pastor Lawrence yesterday. He says, we're, we're earthen vessels. But guess what? The outside of the vessel is, is going to wear down. It's going to break. But the, what's inside it is the treasure. It's the gold that, that God wants to use in us. Um, anyway, there are times when it seems hopeless. There are times when we seem like it's not going to happen. My, I got too many cracks. God can't use me. But the main thing that distracts us from the, some of the things that God wants us to do is perception. And that goes along with vision. Vision, perception. Vision is, the, is, is actually cast by the demonstration of what God is doing when he declares that this is the plan. This is the blueprint. And I was going to bring a set of blueprints and kind of lay it out, how everything is laid out. And that architect, he knows what the finished product is going to look like. And he says that it is good. But the thing that stops us is our own perception. And I showed you in John in three consecutive chapters where Jesus Christ was speaking to people and they just kind of looked at him not having any idea what he was talking about. But when they got it, it was a new revelation because they needed to be transformed by the renewing of their minds. And we can look at it now in hindsight and it makes perfect sense. But sometimes your perception can be more powerful than true reality. No, have you ever walked into a room and there were some people that were talking and they looked up at you and everybody got quiet? You walk in and you're like, hey, hey, huh? Okay, I got to go now. I got to go finish it. And everybody just takes off and they scurry. And I wonder if they were talking about me. They're setting up a plan. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny, there's a TV commercial that even makes a joke of that where the guy has a cell phone and everybody gets a text message that there's a party and the guy comes into the party, hey, I wish I had been invited to the party. You know, and then he, he basically says, and that one doesn't even like you and that one said this about you and he just kind of divulges everything and then his phone rings and he just got his message, oh, there's a party here. 
You've got to be very, very careful because it's all about perception. When you first walk into a situation, sometimes you will think that this is what's going on. And then what happens is sometimes you, your ear will even be tickled by what someone else is saying or so what someone else's vision is. And you'll start listening to that and you'll put two and two together and you'll have this whole other issue going on that is not even the truth. You know, one of the things that we believe is that we practice Matthew 18. If you have a problem with somebody or you hear something, rather than your perception being wrong, I need to have clarity. Brother Mike, I heard that you said something, and I need to know because we are friends, and I love you, and I know you love me, and I don't want anything to come between us. So this is what I heard, and then I give us a chance to parlay, to converse, and if I've offended him, Mike, man, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to do that when I did that. I didn't want you to be hurt. And then we're still friends. We're still good with that. But a lot of times you'll find people, they'll hear certain things, and this whole thing gets wound out. In fact, this one will call that one, that one will call that one, that one will call that. And I said, why did they listen to that one anyway? Because they know that was a busybody that's going to exaggerate and never tell the truth and doesn't know anything anyway. And that's the one that people will hold that person up and say, well, so-and-so said it. Well, then you know it can't be true. A lot of times when God begins to, to speak, your spirit has to hear what he's doing. Because what happens is your perception, a lot of times it's your own fear too that will kind of come in and try to block what he's saying or try to change it into something else. And God is very, very, he, he's, he's, he's kind, but he's going to nudge you back and say, nope, that's what the plan is. I don't want to be two degrees off or three, and even one degree off. You can make the building fall. This is what I want. And you say, amen to what God is doing. Um, I'm going to just give you a scripture to write and to read later. And it has to talk about Galatians 3, verse 10 to 13. And it is also repeated again in Deuteronomy 21, 22 to 23. And it talks about the law And it talks about the things of God. And we follow the law. And, and, and God is one who honors the laws that we've set. Now, if you're sentenced to death because you've done something, well, then we honor that. But then one of the commandments says, thou shall not kill. The law says if you murder, you need to be executed. Thou shall not kill. It almost seems like there's an inconsistency there. God will honor that, but when he is doing a plan, we have to follow what his rules are saying. How you perceive a process can impact or hinder your blessing. If you think what God is doing for you is a good thing, you're with it. But if it's also going to challenge you a little bit for a season of time because you didn't get what you want, you're like, God, bad. And sometimes he's not being bad. Sometimes he's just trying to give you a slight adjustment. Sometimes even in the area of finances, there are things that go on. And you're like saying, oh, Lord, I really, really need to have this money to do that. And I'm depending upon you to get, well, you said you would never leave me or forsake it, forsake it, but sometimes God needs to get you out of that car that he didn't tell you to get or out of that house that he didn't tell you to get. Sometimes he needs to bring you down to a level where you can begin to see him. There's a tendency in our flesh is when things are going really, really good that we kind of lose sight of the one who's the creator and we start doing our own thing. 
And sometimes he has to reel us back in. Sometimes you can be hurt by a family member or, or a church or somebody at work or you, know, you can be hurt. I can be hurt. People are going to talk about me. I don't like it. I don't feel comfortable. But when I know that it's from God and he's beginning to do something, I say, okay, Lord, what's your plan? Because one of the things that I have realized in my lifetime, I've wanted certain things from God, and my mind will get a whole strategy for how that thing's supposed to occur. And when it comes off, I get frustrated at God. And God says, but that's not where I intended to go. I want you to go there. And he's very, very clear about that. And I have to say yes and amen. There's a process because there's things that I learned through going through stuff. I'm going to ask you to turn to James chapter 1. And it's just one verse. I just need for you to know that it's there. Everybody doing all right? Or are y'all getting tired of me already? Everybody's getting quiet. And there he goes again. There he goes. We're listening. We'll listen for you to be quiet. <laughs> um, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Uh, my brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. Circle that word, that word joy. Count it all joy when I fall into temptations which are bad. Count it joy when I step into something that's going to be trying and challenging. Because knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Hmm. Hold your finger there for just about five minutes. We'll come back to that. Trying of your faith through temptation works patience. I'm going to ask you to turn to Romans. And that's going back the opposite way. Romans chapter 5. There he's going. I thought we were almost on a runaway. It's okay. It's cool. It's fine. And I'm a big one in kind of turning back to a lot of these things. I want you to see it. I don't want to make something up. But what we talk about is when we go to tribulation, tribulation causes patience. Patience causes experience. And experience causes hope. So tribulation isn't always bad because you're going to have patience, which is the experience with the fact that stuff goes on. But my faith is exercised because it gives me the hope that God is going to do something. You know, I remember when I was in graduate school, there was always this student, when we got ready to study, we'd always be saying, Man, I can't believe they gave us 15 chapters to read in three days. We're going to have a test. We're all going to fail. We'll never finish our careers. We'll all be poor on the street on welfare, never able to do anything. And uh, his name was Richard Martinez, Dr. Martinez. And he'd always say, man, you got to go through something to be something. And I'd just look, would you just be quiet? No, no, he says, it's real. You got to go through something. He, he wasn't doing scripture, but that stuck in mind as I was pondering on this is his voice came after 30-something years and said, you got to go through something to be something. And another thing that he had always say, every situation is going to have some rain fall into it. A lot of times we can curse the rain. Well, I'm outside and I'm doing this, and to every life some rain must fall in order for God 
to get the glory. In order for there to be life, in order for there to be growth, the rain must fall into your life. There will be storms, there will be trials, but God has overcome. In life, say in life, there will be no pain, problem, or persecution. Say that. There will be no pain, problem, or persecution that comes without purpose. What does that mean? In life, there will be no pain, problem, or persecution that comes without purpose. So for everything that's going on, every challenge that is in your life, God's got a purpose for it. You know, even when Pastor Lawrence called the other day and says, listen, I'm not afraid. I'm not walking in fear. But I called Mama, and she was terrified because this is, this is Daddy. And, you know, and I've got to go, and I've got to get her off the wall because they mentioned that, that, that word, and we're just not even going to claim that in, in the name of Jesus. And, that, and I agreed with him. And then, you know, he called back. He says, wow, Dad's doing great. He's talking. He's sitting up. He's, you know, cantankerous with the nurses. He's doing really, really good. And then yesterday, you know, I speak to him, well, Got to go get mom going again because dad had another episode and it's hard to see your dad hurt, but I'm believing and I'm standing in faith. There's a purpose because a lot of times you have to realize that God has still got the purpose to do and you still speak with the same strength and fortitude that you spoke that first thing that was going on. Because see, the devil will bring it back up and show it to you again to see what you do. See if you're going to give up. Now, what do you do when a doctor gives you a bad report and says, it's stage four? You know, I have one of my neighbors call me last week, and uh, he's a retired professor from ABAC, known in the community. And he says, you know, a few months ago, he said, I was having some problems swallowing, and he said they found that there was a little tumor that they found in my abdomen. And um, the family called me over one night, probably about 9 o'clock, because he had passed out. And he doesn't have any medical history. He doesn't drink, doesn't smoke. And he says, I've got this tumor. And he says, there's a guy in Emory who's the top guy in the world who's treating it and says that it's stable. But he says, I wonder if me passing out could be related to that. And this was probably five or six months ago. So, you know, I walk in as a doctor, but I said, brother, can I pray for you? I prayed for him. He thanked me. He's gracious. I mean, he was back out working, cutting grass, doing stuff, being involved in the community. And last Thursday night, he calls. I had another episode. And, you know, my air just goes out, and I said, what's going on? He says, well, it was about 1030 at night, and I said, don't bother Langston. He's probably asleep with his family. And he said, we went to the ER. And he says, we got to the ER. They called the GI guys down, the surgeons down. They did a couple of studies. I told him, I said, I have this thing here. And he said, they don't know what to do with it. I said, my specialist is in Emory. Well, they med-flighted him out the next morning. His specialist was there. Um, they did studies. They decided that they're going to go in and now remove this thing. And um, no, this is where you got to trust God. And they decided to do the surgery. They were going to do it last Wednesday, but they decided to do it on Monday. They had the team come in, and they opened them up, and they saw that it had invaded the colon, which is the large intestine, the small intestine, encroaching upon the aorta. And they called in five more surgeons, and they all looked down. They said, there's nothing that we can do. And they closed them up. They said, go back to Tifton. 
So wife calls me. And she says, I was there when the doctors came in. And as he came out of his anesthesia, they, we explained to him that there was nothing else that could be done. And the wife says, but I'm trusting God. She says, I had to leave the room for about 10 minutes because she says he had to have his pity party. But she says, he's all right now. And I'm glad you called. And I got him on the phone. And he's like, hey, Brother Langston, how you doing? I said, hey, man, what's going on? He says, fine, how's your family? Fine. Yards looking good? Yeah, the yards are looking good. I say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So I'm sure you, my wife has talked to you, and she's told you that we went for the surgery, and everybody came in, and now there's nothing that they can do. And I'm saying, yeah, but you're saved, sanctified, going to heaven, and God has not given you an expiration date at this point. He says, yeah. He says, we're going to let this heal up. And he says, after I heal up for about four to six weeks, I'll be back down in Tifton, and we're going to go see what the other doctors down there. He says, I don't know if there's, if there's a chemo or radiation, whatever it is that's out there. But see, this is where God carries you through something so that he can begin to prove himself. And even in the end, if you end up going to heaven, so what? God has got this thing. He is the author. He is the creator. He is the perfecter of my body and everything that I go through. And it's what comes out of your mouth when you start getting a diagnosis like that. That's what God is looking for, that heart that says, I will not bow down to this thing. I declare it healed. I declare the kingdom of heaven in the midst of every situation. You know, I um, went to a family reunion three weeks ago in Memphis, Tennessee. We went through four states in five days and then drove home. And when we got there, one of my uncles didn't show. First of all, one time he realized that his daughter was having a baby that wasn't due for two weeks. So we rejoiced in that. But I wasn't originally supposed to go, but at the last minute I was ready to go. And I realized that if I hadn't gone, we, this whole thing would have... God had a plan that he had set in motion even before I knew what was going on. But the second thing is that the family was devastated because in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I had a cousin who is my age that had uncontrolled diabetes who passes away. And that information came in the midst of the reunion. And we, we had to rejoice anyway. We were seeing faces, and I saw some aunts and great aunts that were 93, 95, Mom. My mom's aunts that had a chance to see, that were, yeah, that were spirit-filled, trusting in God, awake and alert, that, that God has a plan for and that have raised their families by, by God. So, you know, you're excited about the things that God begins to do, and he sends you reassurance. Another time he says, I've got the blessing of a new birth, but I'm going to take one. And let me show you, I've got longevity in this one. This one's going to be here until I say, and you're going to see the testimony in which how I've lived through their lives and how they've raised their families. Um, sometimes there will be tribulation. God's got a plan. There will be pain. There will be persecution. I'm trying to keep an eye on my time. I'm going to ask you to turn to Romans 8. Romans 8. And then we'll wind on down so we can get you all going. Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse... 18, for I reckon 
that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For I reckon, for I think that the suffering, the stuff that I'm going through at this time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be shown me that I have not seen yet. God is not finished with me yet. God is not finished with you yet. And whatever you're going through, when it stands in the kingdom of heaven, you will look back and say that that was just a little bubble or a hiccup that God used to get me into this other place. In Genesis chapter 50, we learn about Joseph. And 50 of the verses are 19 through 21. We learn how Joseph is betrayed by his brother sold off into slavery, um, jealousy, whatever the issues are. You know, the thing is that God is allowing the things in your life to work out for the good of his glory, whatever they may be. It may hurt for a while, and you may not understand, but there will be glory. In fact, Joseph, his brothers come to tell him that their dad has died, and the dad has spoken some words of peace and says, forgive them. And he reaches out to his brothers in love. And they're saying, hey, we're come, we'll be your servants. We'll be whatever you need us to be because we, we've messed up. But you've made good out of this. You're walking in power. Dad is gone. Here we are. And he embraces them. The prodigal son who has gone out and done stuff returns home. And there's a faithful father looking for that son to return. Your sons and daughters are coming home. They have not escaped. It is not hopeless because God's got a plan. And guess what? He's the one that gets the glory. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It's one of my favorites. And we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, to whom he did foreknew. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate them to be called and whom he called them to be justified and whom he justified them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? For if God be for us, who can be against us? And that'll preach just by itself. All things work together for the good. All things. You know, my confidence will pay a reward. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And trust me, we're 13, 80. We're on the runway. Hebrews chapter. I want to show you the word because I want you to get more of the word when you walk out of here. I don't want you to just remember that I got up here and kind of talked about stuff. I want you to see these words for yourself. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 says, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence which hath great recompense of reward. Well, when I think of the confidence, 
That sounds an awful lot like faith, and I believe that the word is still the same word of faith. When God is working, not only is he the author of our faith, but he is also the finisher. That's Hebrews 12, 2. Job 23, 8 through 10, and we know Job is the one that loses his family. He loses everything. But the scripture there says he will come forth as gold. There's a refiner's fire out there that even though you're going through some pressure right now. Now, when you look at gold, when it comes out of the mines, it's irregular, it's, it's, it's imperfect, it's got other crystals, it's got other things in there, and they put that thing in the fire, and they heat that up until it turns to liquid. And what happens is the purity of the gold settles out, and all that junk settles out. When you get finished, you've got this nice, bright, golden, pure, precious, valuable thing. And God says, that's what you are. I'm sending you through a threshing floor. And this is not only for the church, but I believe prophetically it's also for somebody's life. Somebody says that I'm going through some stuff and I don't understand why I've been going to church, I've been praying, and I'm not seeing the hand of God. And God says, I know already. He says, I've made way already for every circumstance and everything that you're going through. But it's a process. You know, when you deal with accounting, if you've ever taken accounting class, they talk about production production process, they talk about materials, and they, have, they come in three states. The first state is the raw material. The second state is the work in process. And then the third part of it is the finished goods. So you start with this. You have your manufacturing that goes on here. And over here, you have your final products that now are ready for sale. Question is, you got to ask yourself, where are you in the midst of this thing? Because of this continual process that we have, we have to learn the thing called patience. Without patience, we'll have worry, and sometimes we'll operate in fear. We'll make rough decisions. In fact, if you don't have patience and you worry about stuff and you can't wait for that to happen, I always tease my son because he says, I want to go boil an egg, Dad, and he puts it on the stove, and then they, he puts it on, puts the water, he turns the thing on, he looks. What you doing, son? Getting ready to boil an egg. So, so what you waiting for? Waiting for it to boil. So I've told him, I said, a watch pot never boils. And he looks at it for another 30 seconds. What you doing? Trying to boil an egg. Okay. And then finally, I think it clicks, and he'll like go get a glass of juice and then pour his juice, and then he comes back, and then all of a sudden he looks. Dad, it's boiling. <laughs> You're right. He thinks I'm just a genius. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's, it's interesting. Patience is very, very important. Um, not patience in terms of a doctor having patience, but patience in terms of you having the ability to wait. In fact, patience is the ability to endure hardship. A lot of times when there's stuff that's hard, we want to run from it. We want soothing. The other day, Giovanni and I were playing basketball and you know, he threw up the ball and I hit it and it hurt his shoulder. And he grabbed his arm as if it were broken and went screaming into the house, you broke my arm. <laughs> and uh, it was fine 15 minutes later. He just wanted to talk about it. But his, his first response was one in fear and what I had done to him. And I said, son, I didn't do that. We were playing a game. Ha ha. You know, you shot. I hit it. You know, his arm went back awkwardly and, you know, 
all of a sudden it was my fault. So he went running to mama, and mama says, it's okay, put some ice on it, it'll be fine. Did you pray for it? So, you know, my six-year-old, she came over, laid hands on it and prayed, and they had an ice pack, and then an hour later he was fine. Endurance will help you to win the race. That's the ability to do hardship. You have to be able to endure. You know, my examples are long-distance runners, you know, and if you grow up north, a lot of times you have a lot of runners that are out in Central Park, and they're just running. Headphones on, they're just running. They're just going. And I say, man, why are they doing that? You know, and everybody's just running. Everybody's going somewhere. All this energy. Before you go to work, you're going to go out and run five miles. I come in, I run half a block, and I'm ready to go lay down, and my day is over. But what happens is that they've built up endurance. You know, I like to watch boxing. And the other night I was watching a boxing match. He had these two champs to come out. One was 203 pounds, and he was built. I mean, his ribs were like an eight-pack. You know, he was, you know. He was, and the other guy was probably about 230 pounds, more closer to me. And he was a bigger guy, and he, but he was also like a power puncher. And you watch the little guy with the little muscle, he'd come in, whack, 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 and he'd jump back, and whack, 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 and he'd jump back. And then the other guy was just like, Boom. And if he hit him once, God would just go back. <laughs> and he just, and I, and, and I always try to figure out in the first 30 seconds who's going to be the winner. Who am I going to side with? Like, do I get the little fast guy that don't have much power? Do I get that big guy? Because if he gets one good punch, he's going to tear him up. But one of the things that you can watch is they go through the 12 rounds, get somewhere around the eighth round, and that, that big guy gets slower and slower. But at the end of this particular match, actually, they both made it. But most of the time, that guy who's fast and has the endurance, if he gets in, he keeps throwing them licks, and he can still do it, and he can tire you out, and he can duck and not get hit and all of that stuff. He's the one that's going to win. Generally, it's the slow guy is the one that's going to get winded. And um, I've watched folks come out and try to do things in a race. And one of the things you can tell when you have an immature runner, when the race starts, he's the one that's out there in front of everybody. And what happens is in the first five minutes, he gives it everything that he's got. And then after, <laughs> and that's when the guy who's been going a little bit slower and has paced himself, that rest of the team goes past him right by him. Hey, Tony, bye. <laughs> you know, because generally he's, gonna, he's on his side. He needs his inhaler and stuff. So what I want to do is I want to encourage you to be able to say when we stand before God is that I fought a good fight. You know, I won the race. I endured. I didn't give up. I had the vision of what you wanted for our lives. I'm going to ask us all to stand. And I think we're on time. Yes. Um, this message was more of an encouraging message than anything to say. Basically, hang in there with your vision. Um, I want to encourage you that the vision that you have, God has one that's better. And if you don't see, rather than to automatically reject what you see going on, come talk to your, your leadership. Come talk to your pastor and find out what he's talking about. In fact, one of the things that he has said to me that's encouraging is when God gives me a vision, it becomes mine. And when I tell you what that vision is, I want you to also grab hold of that vision just as if it were your own. And see, that's always my heart. So I'm always asking the, the pastor questions. So what did you see? What color was it? How, how long did it, you know, I, I, want, I want to know the plan that you see so that we can see, we can get this thing going so we can get to where we need to be.
God's finished product is to make us mature. You know, we remember the scriptures where they talked about how children grow up on milk. And then we start advancing our diet where our kids are able to eat solid food. Well, we start with the same word of God. Sometimes we start on the essence of the milk, which is foundational for what he's doing. But now God wants you to step into the supernatural realm of his maturity where he speaks the same words, but they have a different meaning to you. It doesn't contradict anything, but God gives you vision to see into the next message of what he has. He's at work in every situation. In life, there's going to be some battles and there's some blessings, but rarely do the blessings come first. You've got to fight the battles before you can get the blessings. You've got to get the bumps and bruises when you have the testimony about what God is doing. You know, Inez gave me a prophetic word that she was sharing with me, and it pertained to something else, but I think it's for us. And she mentioned a five-year reward. Well, if you're going to go for the reward that took you five years to get there, the first four years were spent in preparation. Stuff happened. Guess what? There was a plan. There was a purpose. There was preparation time. There was construction. There were times where the walls felt like they were coming down. There were times where it didn't look like it was going to last. There were times where it got better. You took a step forward. You took two steps back. And you said, this must not be God. And God says, there was maturation that occurred during that four-year process. So now when you step into the fifth year, you're going to see the fruit of what I'm going to do. Timing is ever so important. A lot of times there's a tendency to step out too quickly. And I always think to the birth of a baby. It's nine months gestation. That's a long time. Say long time. Men don't even understand what that means. Long time. I've had to massage more feet and stomachs and get more juice and rub backs and do everything during that time. Long time. You say, well, when's this baby going to come? Nine months. We can predict the date. Nine months. Well, there's a season that you're going to have to go through during that time. And there will be the pain and the suffering and the birth and my feet are swelling and I don't look right. And you won't. Long time. And then there's a room. Did you have to get the room ready? Did the room paint it yet? Did you get the crib in there? The room needs to be ready. We need to start nesting. We need to get ready. Are you on? Why did we even do this thing? If you're not going to help me, say long time. But guess what? At the end of that season, uh-oh, what happened? There's been a change. Uh-oh, let me check. No, you, I need the doctor to check this. Okay, well, let's get you to the doctor. Okay, uh, you're at seven centimeters. It's time. It's time. It's time. Long time. Get you to a room. Okay, we're going to check you out. We're going to put the monitors on. Yeah, it's ready. It's coming. Okay, you're at nine centimeters. Once you begin to push, oh, oh, there it is. And God does a miracle. There's beauty that he has in the midst of this. At the long time, God's going to birth something. You're going through a tribulation process in your life that God has brought you out of. He says, long time. Part of it, he says, may have even been your own fault. But he says that he is the one that's going to turn your ashes into beauty. He's going to trade them out. He's giving you a new life, a new destiny. But you said, but I knew when I made the mistake. 
uh-oh, I was stepping backwards. I tried to dodge what God has purpose. I thought I could take the shortcut, but he says, no, long time. I've got a process. He says, you've gone through a four-year process, and now we're about to see the beauty of what he's going to do. The goal, the reward is there. So I speak blessing over everyone in this church that we draw ourselves into unity because we love God. We, we desire to live for his purpose. He has equipped us. I want to do all things that God has strengthened me to do. Long time. Whatever time it takes, Lord, I'll do it. Lord, forgive me for the things that I've done that did not bring excellence to you. Forgive me for trying to take the shortcut. Forgive me for not listening to your words and trying to do it my way. But Father, you helped me step over the stumbling box. You became my friend at 2 o'clock in the morning. You're the one that said, don't kill yourself because I'm here at 2 in the morning. I will meet you and I will bring you comfort and I'll be your friend when you don't have a friend. Guess what? You got family members that even talk about you. Someone's talking about, there's somebody even here right now doesn't like you that well. And I'm not saying that to be funny, but it's really not about whether they like you or not. God has put them into your life right now during this season for you to realize that how you respond to them is going to change you. I love my enemies. He has created a table for me to invite them to feast with me. Long time. There's a time where I couldn't do that. But guess what? I see those people for who they are now at work in the community, in my family. And I love them more the less because they see a change in me and they'll say, for 15 years I persecuted you and I didn't speak to you. And there's stuff that's even coming now. And all you did was love me. Thank you, God. Long time. God is doing something. He's got a plan for this church. He's got a vision for this church. And we're right now at the point where God says, don't abort that thing. Because there's a tendency for you to want to jump out. He said, some have. Some needed to. Did you hear that? Some needed to. Because they were never going to get that vision. He says, I had another plan for them. But they were here just hanging in just to watch. But I need to get them out of the way so that you could step up for this season. So that when they asked for the word of faith, you'd say, that was me. So I speak blessing power, majesty, grace, dominion over your life if you step out into the things that God has. Your past is over. Your past is over. So I release you today. I say you go forth in power. Let this be an awesome day. As you step out the doors, look for opportunities to represent the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, to be his hands and his legs and to reach and if you see a stumbling block, say, Lord, this is my stepping stool. I will step on it until we call this forth in the name of Jesus, our creator. Amen. You're released. Thank you all.